0: Hello and welcome to the Series Learns podcast, hosted by Series Unified School District Superintendent Dr. Scott Siegel and Deputy Superintendent Dr. Denise Wickham. This monthly Q and A addresses topics related to education and their impact on Series students, families, and staff. To ask a question for a future episode, email communications at series.k12.ca.us. Now, your hosts, Scott and Denise.
1: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Series Learns. We're a little more than a month into the new year, and there have been several pandemic-related developments in the news recently that could have an impact on schools. Denise and I want to provide an update on where things stand and what we anticipate for the second half of this school year.
0: Hello, everyone. That's right, Scott. As our listeners may know, currently preschools through 6th grade students in our district are on a hybrid learning schedule. They are at school two days per week, and learning from home three days per week. 7th through 12th graders, with the exception of small cohorts, are still learning from home. In the last month, vaccines have begun to be available and the governor lifted the stay-at-home order that went into effect throughout California before the holidays. What does that mean for Stanislaus County and more particularly for our schools?
1: Thank you, Denise. Yes, there's a lot to unpack with that question. So I'm going to take a piece of the time, starting with the spread of COVID in Stanislaus County and our tier assignment. So right now, we are in the purple tier. We're actually in a new tier they call deep purple, which is when your case rate exceeds 25 cases per 100,000 population averaged over a seven-day period. We want to get down to the red tier, which means we have to get down to seven. Our current numbers are probably around 50 right now is where we seem to be hanging. So That actually represents a really big improvement from the 80 we were at following the Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year surges that happened this winter. So there's definitely been a downward trend. Things are easing up. That's reflected in the governor easing his lockdown or stay-at-home order that tried to discourage us all from socializing during the holidays. And now we find ourselves just waiting for the numbers to come down. I think it's important that people know that their continued help in following all the protocols and recommendations, including social distancing and masking, and all of those will help get our kids back quicker.
0: Wow. Thank you for updating us on the tier status and where we stand. Along with that, how is the vaccine rollout coming along? And what impact will that have for the employees of Ceres Unified School District?
1: Well, Denise, as I'm sure you've heard and our listeners have heard, the vaccine rollout has not gone exactly smoothly. Right now, there is tremendous demand. The state and national governments have prioritized the 65 and above group that was originally 75 and above, but they changed it to 65 and above, which is a lot of people. So there's a lot of demand for the vaccine. There are people waiting in line for hours. I know My father-in-law waited four hours to get the vaccine last week, and he's anxiously waiting getting his second shot in a few weeks. So the vaccine rollout is slower than we would like. It's critical for our efforts to combat this disease that people get vaccinated, and I would encourage everyone to secure their place in getting vaccinated as soon as you're in a group that's eligible to do so. Now, school employees were part of the original high priority of getting people vaccinated, and that hasn't changed. It's just school staff have been put off a couple of weeks. We're hoping that perhaps By middle to late February, we will start vaccinating our school employees. The plan is to do that at district locations, school sites across the district. That will happen countywide. We will also be helping a couple of neighboring districts with vaccine distribution. So we are preparing for that. I hope that maybe by the end of March, all of our employees have received both their first shot and their booster and are well on their way to full immunity from this disease. That said, I think it's critical that everyone understand that vaccination of staff is not a precondition to reopen schools.
0: Well, I understand that staff being vaccinated is not a precondition to reopening, what about our students? Will they be required to be vaccinated?
1: That's a great question, Denise. Right now I can tell you that the vaccine is not approved for use in children. So our students not only do not have to get vaccinated, they cannot get vaccinated. There are currently studies underway to see if the vaccine is safe and effective for children. I highly suspect it will be so that eventually students will get vaccinated. Whether that ever becomes a requirement for attending school will be up to California State Legislature. At this time, I don't see that happening in time to start next school year. So it's important to understand with that that children seem to be a lot less susceptible to the disease than adults, so that the need to vaccinate children simply is not as compelling as the need to get our elderly vaccinated and our essential workers vaccinated, and then ultimately all adults vaccinated. We also know that the disease is not spreading in schools. We have a lot of data in the school district to show that. We have data from the county public health department that says it's not spreading in schools. That's not an absolute truth, but generally we are seeing people coming to work or coming to school with a disease. And then in general, people not catching it from them. Our quarantining system is working. Our precautions seem to be working. And there's been some national studies I've heard of also that seem to echo that, that they're not seeing COVID-19 spread in schools.
0: So knowing that our students are really not spreading the virus rapidly through our schools, what does that mean for the return of our secondary students who have been out of school since last March?
1: So as you know, our elementary students actually are back on a hybrid model where they attend two days a week with half of their classmates and then the other half go the other two days a week, Wednesday being a distance learning day for everyone. For our secondary students in grades 7 through 12, we're looking at doing a similar model. There'll be a couple of nuances to that, and I'll explain in a minute. But we will not be able to do that per the state's guidelines until we reach the red tier and stay out in the red tier for five days. Good news is that used to be 14 days. The state has shortened it to a wait of only five days. I'm anticipating, and not promising, anticipating if current trends hold that we will hit that red and be able to reopen our secondary schools possibly by the end of March. I could be wrong, case counts could escalate again or stabilize at a higher level, but that's where it looks like it's heading right now. So we're waiting to go red and we're waiting to stay red for five days. Once our secondary students return, what will happen is they will attend half their classes on the first day of the week they attend and the other half of their classes on the second day of the week they attend. And the reason we have to do this is to avoid mixing. The problem with secondary schools is students have six or seven teachers, and we cannot have them go to all six or seven classes each day, as that will create an unsafe level of mixing and lead to possible spread of the disease. We're also planning with secondary to release the students by lunchtime, because unlike elementary, where we can tightly control what happens at lunch, at secondary schools, that is just not possible.
0: Okay, Scott. I am aware that we may be bringing back secondary cohorts fairly soon. What does that look like, and how safe is that for both staff and students?
1: So Denise, let me start with what a cohort is. A cohort is a small group of students that attend a single teacher's learning space and stay there. There's lots of ways that can happen. It can be instructional, such as what we're doing with our special education students right now at the secondary level, because they're already back in cohorts uh, attending with their teacher and their classmates. Or it can be more passive than that, where we're simply providing a location in a teacher's classroom. For the student to safely be learning is dedicated and well-structured for learning, but they're not receiving help from the teacher. We're doing that at Argus right now, where students attend a teacher's classroom and Zoom to their other teachers during that time period. And that has several factors that make it important. One is that it's a safe place to be, it's a structured learning environment, and we have access to internet that's effective and works for Zoom. In the case of Argus, is more like what we're looking to do with the rest of our secondary students who will be brought back for cohorts. We're looking for students who are not having a successful time with Zoom and distance learning for whatever reason. It could be their internet's not effective at home. It could be that they just have too many distractions at home. It could be that if they aren't under someone's eyes, they're not going to be doing the work they need to do. And just having that structure and that safety is what they need. So we will start on February 16th, bringing back numbers of secondary students, no more than one quarter of the school's size. That's what the law allows us to do right now. So when you divide that over the whole teacher population, it actually ends up being about eight kids per teacher if they all show up every day, which we know from experience is not what's going to happen. So I think we're talking about five kids in a teacher's room at a time. It's also possible some teachers may pair up to do it in order to allow for prep periods and restroom breaks, which means in that case, I would guess that two teachers might be sharing about 10 kids once the thing is fully up and running, which may take us a little bit of time. Again, this is going to start on February 16th. So we will bring back students, having them sit in the back of teachers' classrooms. If they're not quiet and just doing what they need to do with Zoom and distance learning, they will then be removed from the campus and go learn at home. The idea is not to burden the teacher. It's just to provide some adult supervision while we have kids in a safe, effective learning environment.
0: Okay, Scott, I understand that the governor has $2 billion worth of grants to provide schools in order to return to in-person instruction. Can you outline for us the requirements of the grant, how we can receive some of those funds, and what those funds are to be spent on?
1: Sure. So let me start by saying a very important piece, which is that the governor's proposal was just that, a proposal. The deadline to apply for the grants in the governor's proposal was February 1st, and we're sitting here recording this session on February 1st, and the state legislature and the governor have not yet come to agreement on what the package is going to have and what the conditions of the grant will be. So I think it's safe to say that at some point down the road, we will get a reopening grant or reopening funding, and I do want to clarify a few pieces with that. One is that what the governor proposed was that schools open to get the money to the level that we already have opened. He did not suggest that secondary schools reopen in purple, that they reopen once we get to red. That elementaries reopen once they get out of deep purple and into regular purple. We were already open on a hybrid model. If we had applied for the grant, we would already be satisfying the condition of being reopened. There are other pieces of the proposal that the state legislature had some real heartburn with, and they are negotiating out those pieces. Some of it included the testing cadence, the frequency with which everyone would have to test, and the logistics were just not workable. While we would like to be able to have people test really frequently, cost and having the people actually get tested that frequently probably won't work. So they're working through that. I expect the state legislature and the governor to reach a compromise within the next few weeks and that they'll get something out at that point. The important piece, again, to reemphasize is that this school district is already reopened to the level that the state and governor would like us to be. Denise, one other aspect with reopening is athletics, and I know your division handles the coordination of athletics district-wide. Can you tell me what's going on with athletics?
0: Sure, Scott. Athletics, we have been practicing in some limited areas that are allowed in the purple tier. CIF, which is the California Interscholastic Federation, has agreed that certain sports like cross-country, track, Have been allowed to condition. Now they are allowed to practice and begin preparing for some actual games and tournaments. We are following the guidelines presented by CIF, and our coaches are certainly excited about having students back on campus in these athletic areas to begin their practices.
1: That sounds great. I know we're all looking forward to seeing our student athletes have an opportunity to play even on a limited basis this year. Can you just also tell us about mental health services?
0: Absolutely. It's important for families to know that mental health services are available through the school district for their students at any time. We have a comprehensive student support division, and that division is certainly welcoming any parents that want some support for their students at any age level. There's individual support available. There are group sessions available. There can just be some individual conversations with parents or with students. Our mental health, social-emotional well-being of our families and our students is of critical importance, and please know that we do have all those resources available. So for students or families that would like access to any social-emotional support, mental health services, please reach out to the school site. School sites have all of the contact information for the support teams that are there and ready to support our kids.
1: Thank you, Dr. Wickham. That's such an important area for our families to know that there's access to good mental health services in the event that their students need it, and it's very common right now to need that. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Series Learns. We appreciate you, our listeners, tuning in, and we invite you to send us your questions for future episodes at communications at series.k12.ca.us. That's communications at series.k12.ca.us. Until then, stay safe, everyone.